So here we are today at the head office of Morrison's Supermarkets. And for the Success is a System episode today, we're going to be interviewing the Chief Executive, David Potts. What an incredible leadership story David has got. Literally started work at 14 in a fruit and veg shop at 16, having failed all of his O-levels. He started works with Tesco's at the very lowest level. By the time he left them, he'd opened and ran their Ireland business at 26. He ran their biggest supermarket. He ran their Asia business uh, and worked for them at main board level for 12 years. In the last 10, 12 years, he's been chief exec of Morrison's and has transformed that business. There's so much to learn from David, so many great pearls of wisdom, so many great business strategies and ideas and actions and systems that you can adopt. Don't miss this episode. And I think genuinely the industry, uh, you know, in the UK for sure, is a meritocracy. I think if you can be very ruthless, you know, in private or in, in among um, the right stakeholders, yeah about what is, where is the real value in this business, where is the real opportunity, then, then I think that, that'll give you some tram lines to move between. And perhaps in your own style as the ultimate leader, in the way you present things, the way you ask rather than tell, leaves room to get to the right answer. Because there's always this danger that, you know, if all objections are have to be overcome to start with, nothing will ever be started. Quick fire, 12 things, just as a finish, as a wind up yeah. here, that are kind of either or. Check out versus self-service. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Success is a System. I'm Mike Green, and I'm here today with David Potts, who I've known for probably 10, 12 years now. Yeah. Uh, David is the CEO of Morrison's Supermarkets. Uh, after spending about 39 years with Tesco's, literally man and boy, we can talk a little bit about that. And we can talk about the systems that David has learned, adopted, used throughout his career. Um, and we're going to get into other stuff as, as we go through. So thanks for agreeing to, to see us, David. It's very kind. Um, and of course, my background was retail, but I'm now 10 years out of that and doing different things. I now do uh, a lot of mentoring um, and do property as well, as, as you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was looking earlier and I knew a little bit from when we'd spent time yeah. together before. Um, and I thought I'd better brush up because it's a while since I've been in retail. But um, 16, you started with Tesco's after mm. working at a fruit and veg shop at 14. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Did you go into retail back then because it was a way to get some extra pocket money or did you have an immediate kind of liking for it? What what got you into it at the time? Well, I think at 14 I was skint and, right. and therefore getting, you know, some money for Saturday morning was really important to me. Um, having said that, getting involved at that early age and getting a feel for product, particularly fruit and veg, yeah, yeah, yeah. salads and customers and working with an owner of a business, which it was, I still kind of <coughs> reflect on some of those things even now uh, in the jobs I've done since. So I think joining then Tesco at 16, I, I pretty much left school at 50, uh, sorry, f on the Friday yeah. and started work on the Monday at Tesco right. as a customer assistant on a deli counter. Um, and I, I probably played a lot of football in my uh, life, but certainly in those early years, I wasn't quite sure which way life would take me to some extent waiting for exam results like you do when you leave in sort of May waiting for August. I failed all my O-levels. Right. I only took five. <laughs> um, and therefore I kind of took a summer job essentially yeah. at Tesco but just carried on. And, 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 and I think for me it's always great inspiration because often we see someone at your level and you're the CEO yeah, and you've yeah. been on the main board of, of Tesco's and you ran Ireland and Asia yeah. and, and everyone would just assume you must be like an amazingly intelligent man who started with a silver spoon and went to university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's really important for people to realise that yeah. there are still sectors, I mean yeah. myself as well, I didn't go to uni, where retail, hospitality, different sectors where you can become really successful. I mean, when you were talking about the fruit and veg, one uh, for many, many years I've mentored Greg Wallace, Master Chef, and, and he was literally um, sofa surfing, so homeless, um, and helped a fruit and veg guy on, on markets, at Covent Garden Market, and got passionate about fruit and veg. And, yeah. uh, but it, was, it had to be really good quality, and he had that drilled into him because, you know, on the markets, you've got to sell when it's good enough to still have a good life on it. Yeah. Well, you're having any retail, yeah. I guess. But I think it's really important that says it doesn't, and, you know, one of my strap lines is it's not where you start that matters, it's where you end up, okay. kind of thing. And 
uh, I mean, I read that even though you failed those uh, GCSEs or O-levels as they were, yeah. uh, that you then went on day release uh, back to college. So yeah. it's never too late to learn, is it? And, and you keep learning all through, I guess. Yeah, no, and I think hats off to Tesco even back then. Day release was possible. Right. And I think genuinely the industry, uh, you know, in the UK for sure, is a meritocracy. And it, and it is more about, you know, that longing to sell, to serve customers, to be there with thousands of people yeah, yeah, yeah. that that kind of separates people out who really love it and, and, and those who don't. So I think, you know, in Morrison's, we would say very much both from a customer base and an employment base that everyone's welcome at Morrison's. Right, right. And we've got a fantastic cadre of graduates, another group we call degree apprentices who have actually left school at 18, not found themselves at university, but with us over four years, they do a full-time job and they deliver on a degree. Right, right. Probably through Sheffield Hallam, probably through Bradford Uni. Um, and they, they, they are some of our finest people. And you, know, you support they, and encourage them through we, that? We pay for their university years. Oh, right. Okay. And they paid as an employee. Fantastic. Um, clearly, you find out something about those colleagues because they're holding down a job full time and they're cracking through a degree, yeah, sort yeah. of part time, right? And so, uh, you know. People with my background, no education in the end. And those yeah, two yeah, groups yeah. can combine. Well, and similarly, I got a Doctor of Education for the work I did understanding yeah. education after... I let myself down at school, I don't mind saying that. But also the education system, not not deliberately or knowingly, but it lets a lot of people down. So I, I mentor about 45 companies at the minute, and about 30 of them are in trade. So they're, they're carpenters, electricians, uh, plumbers, bricklayers and the like, uh, partly because I'm chair of the trade group. Um, and so we tend to attract them. There's an inordinate amount of them, that, uh, a proportion of them that are dyslexic, ADHD right. and the like. And you sort of think, is it, that, is it that that attracts those people? It's not that. It's that at school, they couldn't sit still for more than 20 minutes. And so being forced to listen to someone for an hour yeah, yeah. on a subject that they yeah. kind of were struggling a bit with anyway, it let them down. Now, it didn't intentionally let them down, yeah. but it did. But then the fact that they went on and did a, um, a qualification in plumbing, let's say, and got a Corgi registered gas certificate after three years, it proves they can learn, but they need to be taught in a different, more practical, hands-on way than in the classroom in a, in yeah. a yeah. like forced at one speed way. I mean, Elon Musk has said recently... Um, that he thinks schools and universities are going to be timed out eventually because you can find it all on the internet right. and on the internet you can do it at half speed if you want you can do it at double speed if you learn it quickly you can replay it if you need to go over it again and again but in the classroom you might feel a bit stupid to ask the question or it just might be at the right wrong pace for you so yeah. I mean what if you had your time again do you think you would have gone to university or tried do you see education any differently because of where you are now, some uh, 50 years later? I would have probably tried harder at football if I had my time right, okay. uh, But for sure, no, I think education is massively important. And to learn and experience, I think, is fundamental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in my case, it wasn't a natural step to go to uni. The natural step was to get on and do some you know, work as such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not suggesting you don't work very hard at university, but for me, it was a means to an end to start to earn yeah, and to sort of get on with my life, really. And of course, for some people, myself included, you didn't have a choice. We had to start earning because the household uh -huh. needed some bit. income. Yeah, yeah. And, and similar. And so for me, I think I probably had the choice to retake those exams or to sort of stay in that system. I, I found great enjoyment at Tesco, physically working, working with people in, in, in buildings that were, were well lit, secure, yeah. quite interesting places to be, stores. And so it just drifted away as an idea. So I was quite fortunate, I think, to still go to night school, as you say, in day release. And then I did a year um, on a sort of national distribution certificate in retailing, yeah, yeah, yeah. where I met other people, similar backgrounds. And I, Elon Musk may have a, a very important point to make there, but I, it's hard to replicate that multiplier effect of being with other people in most environments. Yeah, so right? the team and camaraderie, do you mean? Or, yeah, and yeah. Just, just sparking off other people, yeah, thinking yeah, about what they've said, 
very hard to replicate that. Well, and I remember being um, in in Florida once with this family that had 12 kids and they homeschooled them all. And these were bright kids. I mean, they were like super bright. But And and I said, yeah, homeschools, I think at the time, four million people in America were being homeschooled or something. uh, But I said to them, you know, my problem is, how do you make sure they're socialized? You know, because you're within your family. And they they, at the time, they were very religious, but they said, well, it's all through the church. We have our community, we have our church. And then we know that they're growing with the same values. But I found myself thinking, I absolutely get that, but don't we embed our values by being challenged on the values almost, not by being um, necessarily disciplined to them. And I think you need that conflict to lead to clarity sometimes. I mean, do you have any yeah. views on, on, on well, that? And also perhaps learning from other people's values as well, right? And, and their backgrounds and how yeah. that all works. And for us, this idea of sharing knowledge so it can be used, clearly can be done uh, digitally and so on and so forth. But there is something we learned during COVID that digital was the great enabler of continuity in COVID, but actually being working together, 200 people still working full time in this building seven days a week during COVID created a multiplier effect that we could not have repeated online. Well, and interestingly, I'm chairman of the Chamber of Commerce for Peter and Stanford, and so working with lots of businesses, about 900 in the area that I'm in. And what's really interesting is they all thought that coming out of COVID, there would be almost a replacement of a big chunk of their work or their meetings. But they all realized it was only possible during COVID because it was necessary during COVID. And whilst it might now comfortably replace, say, one in three meetings, it is no substitute for face-to-face no. connection. Yeah, yeah. And um, people like other people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the next things, I so you went to school, you left at school at 16 yeah. maybe it was because it was a job you could get you know but you'd already done a bit of it in the fruit and vegetable yeah. at tesco's um but by 24 you were the youngest ever manager of tesco's at the time yeah. of one of their superstores what talking about systems for success what do you think it was about you was it a drive was it a did you have someone who kind of recognized you and and made you feel you had something. What, what do you think got you from 16 to just 24 to be the youngest ever superstore manager for Tesco's? Well, I think all of the above, frankly. But clearly, if you do miss out on A-levels and university, between 16 and 24, you are doing eight years work right, in right, the same yeah. industry, the same company. <clears throat> I was prepared, I'm from Manchester, and I, I've always been prepared to move all over the world, certainly all over the UK. Yeah. to find work quite often that's a requirement if you come from the north yeah get on your um, bike i remember the old political <laughs> saying yeah. um and so for me it was entirely natural to be flexible in my workplace which i think doesn't suit everyone so immediately that gives you a slight head, yeah. head start right so i think in the industry having a high work ethic helps being comfortable working with other people is very important you do need luck and um, I was very fortunate, I think, to get onto a, a store management scheme the company had in yeah, those yeah. days. That I think I was around just, just below 18 years old then, and that lasted 66 weeks, yeah. after which one became an assistant manager of a store and gradually made progress to deputy, and ultimately, if you cut it, store manager. So I, I did go to become an assistant manager of one of the largest stores, the largest store, I think, in Europe at the time, yeah. and uh, following the course, and then became the deputy store manager of a new Tesco store, um, which was very much a new model. Yeah, yeah. And in that moment, a lot of attention brought to that store, and I was very so fortunate, you were at the right place at the right time right, as well. Right yeah. place at the right time, and um, I thought, okay, we'll just go ahead and apply for a new store, see how you get on. That new store turned out to be the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And so I found myself moving from Manchester to Earlham to Chester to the Isle of Wight in fairly short order. And quite I, a different culture shock. Quite I a guess. different, <laughs> yeah. And so I arrived on the island as a 23-year-old with, uh, I think, 50 quid, a stereo player and a car. Uh, and that's all I had in the world. And I just arrived on the Isle of Wight at, at 23. And by the time we opened on June the 10th, um, which was a very big thing for the island, to have suddenly have this brand new store yeah. there, particularly Tesco, I was 24. And um, I would say I couldn't have been more luckier in those eight years, but equally I couldn't have worked much harder either. No. 
and, and, and that's one of them. So, and, and I do a lot with schools at the moment and um, mm. with uh, young entrepreneurs, I say yeah. young on their journey, they're not age necessarily, because some of them get to the end of their career and think I've got a business left in right. me. But, but people at the early part, and one of the things I constantly combat these days is we live in this X Factor world or lottery world where people think they can buy one ticket or, or, or meet Simon Cowell and become an overnight success. And one of the things I'll often say is that the only place where work comes before success or success comes before work is in the dictionary. Everywhere else it's the work first and then you get the success. But where did that work ethic come from? Was it a family thing? Was it an upbringing? Because what, 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 you clearly had that very quickly yeah, to grow yeah. and be able to do uh, a degree, uh, uh, college yeah. uh, education whilst you were working full time. So. A bit, yeah. Although I probably did kind of zigzag my way through even the night school. I I think formal academic education never quite suited me. Right. And for one or two sort of family reasons, my childhood was quite challenged, and therefore there was a moment where you kind of just got on with life, and that. I don't know if that translates to a high work ethic or not, but I think if yeah, you are choice. Yeah. skin <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know a pair of shoes would be kind of handy, then you tend to think, okay, for me to move forward, I'm going to have to work soon and hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, in the end, I think is what I did. It does help a lot if you enjoy it. Yeah, I yeah, couldn't imagine doing a job where either you don't enjoy going there every day or you don't enjoy working with the people you're with. And for me, you spend a lot of time at work yeah, and back yeah. to your title around the system. That for me would always be fairly a high bar, a high test. Do I do I really enjoy this work? And do I enjoy working with the people who are there? And yeah. I mean, that's interesting. And so you, you've said a couple of times, and I know from meeting you before, when you left, um, you, you said if you didn't go into retail, you'd gone into football. Uh, and I think when we met a few times between Tesco and Morrison, was it the FIFA role or you... You were looking at a very well, senior football well, role, I think. Yeah, right? I think, I mean, cl clearly from time to time people ask you whether you're interested in doing work in, a, in all sorts of fields and you'd be a great yeah, example yeah. of that. <clears throat> Mine, there were opportunities there, but my love of football is playing the game. Right, okay. Not administering it. So it might have taken away the love you had. Uh, possibly a conflict, I guess, potentially, yeah. yeah. And we, we talk about that from time to time, but... Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very important sport across the world, particularly in the UK. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's if I if I look back at my whole life, then work and football would be pretty high on that list. Yeah, yeah, and I think I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't a good footballer or rugby or any yeah. of that at school, but I I used to do a lot of cross country and and okay. uh, running and things like that and yeah. gymnastics. So more individual sports, which is interesting enough, although you were part of a team in a way. Yeah. But I do realise the importance of sport in not just physically, but in terms of that uh, working towards a goal or actually scoring goals, as it were, yeah. the importance of winning. Uh, and yet I've seen in the last sort of 10, 20 years, it's insulting, I guess, to call people the snowflake generation. But there is this kind of sometimes an agenda where we don't want to define winners or losers, but everyone should feel at something the 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 what it feels like to win, even if it's small wins or a team win or an incremental yeah. win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, do you think that sport plays an important part in, in children's lives? Because it seems to be playing less of a part in school, more and <laughs> more. Well, I, I think a massive part. And I, I think we neglect that at our peril, frankly, in the yeah. country. And certainly in the education system. I think taking part at many levels, in the end, is actually much more important than winning. And winning can be quite a lonely role because yeah, not because everybody, once you're there you want to stay there as well well not everybody can win right, right and right. therefore you're in the minority in the end but the people taking part that can That's be measured in their millions yeah. i think for me personally my son's coming through as young men and from young boys playing football with me with other teams and i've always been involved in football work a lot of work revolving around football yeah. not just conversation but in playing football and then various teams over the years then it, it, it's just a uh, quite separate than than the sort of following Man City, which I always have. Um, I think it's yeah, I think it's just an important part of what people do. Yeah. The camaraderie, I think, is the recognizing each other's individual roles is there. 
but in in individual sports, in in, in you know golf and the uh, occasionally a team game, but in the main, the individual sports are certainly more than character forming. But but I I think in a team game you are an individual as well as a team player. Yeah, yeah, and that that's hard to separate. Well, and I've I've used the saying a few times uh, after hearing it about six months ago that winning teams only have the best players. Uh, and even if you're like Ronaldo, so you might be a world-class player, if you stop playing for the team, you're at risk of being cut because you, it's one thing to play for the team, it's another to put the team at risk because you're yeah, actively yeah, not being yeah, part yeah, of the yeah, team. Yeah, very much. And we think about it here, we have important meetings every week in this building in Bradford yeah, yeah. around trading, around performance, around the future plans of the business. And how I personally think about those meetings, they're, they're very much in a sporting analogy of the training, of the training sessions, the tactics, right? Right, right? But when we're in our stores, when we're online, that is the match. That, that is when we're actually Because you've got to deliver at that point. We're yeah. delivering then. But these, these meetings here are actually okay. the, the very important training. So if you're down at Man City with Pep and you're training, you're getting ready to be playing, you know, playing Arsenal or whoever it is. And every day yeah. in the store you're playing. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's a really, I think, is an important point for everyone in the stores to know that's where the real work is. Yeah. You know, right on the front line. And, and, and it's interesting to me because, you know, from when we first met and for many years before, I had clients that I had Tesco, I had Sainsbury's, I had Asda, Morrison's, uh, Co-op and all the convenience retailers, Shell, SOBP. They're all clients and I was working with all those corporates, but even though I came from a similar, uh, sort of very working class uh, yeah. poverty background, really. And I've always tried to be bluntly honest and and right. uh, and not dumbed down, but understanding. If I if a if a nine year old can understand me, so can a rocket scientist. But if right. only a rocket scientist can understand me, I'm unrelatable to everyone else. And one of the things I noticed specific to when you came here, Dalton Phillips, and you know, it's not about knocking anybody, but he was a very corporate leader and would tick the box of many of those other companies I'd worked with in terms of being very corporate. And I, one thing that really struck me at the time was the videos that um, I would see of the time, of all the supermarkets really, were very overproduced and uh, right. scripted and, yeah. uh, and, mm -hmm. and probably not even scripted by the person who was saying them and so yeah. on. And then you came along here and, and um, <laughs> you would be, uh, and, and, and I don't want to say deliberately, but I don't mean falsely. I mean, just you were umming and ahhing and, and <laughs> relaxed. And, yeah. and it was yeah. it was it, it was very easy to see whether you yeah. were someone who'd been in the job one day or 10 years that you were thinking on your feet. You were saying what you believed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was clearly unscripted and it just hit the spot, I think, right. in terms of connection. And people yeah. have often said that about you that that you're fine with the city, but equally happy in a yeah. store. Uh, yeah. Where does that come from when you've, in fact, grown up in a corporate environment, in, in work-wise? I mean. yeah. Well, it, it helps if you make it up as you go along. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Well, I think my background paints that picture. Um, and even even the education that we started off with, I think, I think paints that, that picture. It's, it's, it does seem to me quite important, certainly in our industry, in our company, to relate very much to the millions of people who shop with us every week and the hundred thousand yeah. who work with us every week. And you know, they've got very full lives on the one hand, bringing up families, often on their own. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, you know, they've only got a few moments to to pick up the issues and move on. And so I, I'm, I'm not really that keen on overcomplicating things. When in the end. Our job is to give customers what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that doesn't. And, and if you keep true to that, it doesn't get. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated, does it? No. And as I think Sir Ken Morrison, the founder of the business, said that you know quite often in his experience, it's very much about sort of traditional values in the industry, but modern methods. In other words, life completely changes, yeah. but the values of a company, the values of an industry, actually don't in terms of giving customers yeah, what they yeah. want. And you know, value, quality, and service—they've got a lot of sort of things hanging below those. But those are the big sort of labels that, whether it's online or offline, remain uh, very uh, relevant today. Yeah, and I can still remember in the different businesses I've been yeah. involved in, I pretty much take the same values: you know, CKR, FW, so uh, can do, Kaizen, continuous improvement, uh, do the right thing, well, the customer, yeah. those kind of things. And 
And I don't think they change in a lifetime, but the mission changes depending on the company or the needs of the business at the time. And I think sometimes people confuse vision, mission and values, but the values are kind of like the ingrained behaviors, I think, of of a business in terms of the what they'd the way they'd like to yeah. be remembered as opposed to what mm. they do. Is yeah, no, I fair? think that's fair. I think from our side, we tend to say, look, if we're recruiting you, we've made the right call and you have, then we're really bringing you in for your personal values. Yeah. What is a little bit less negotiable is our ways of working. So teamwork is a really important part of Morrison's. If you are essentially the smaller company within the middle of the market, yeah. we have to rely on each other quite a lot in order to feel you know, like we can make an impression, make an impact. So we would sort of talk about, well, why does the company exist? We talk about what does the company do and how does it do it? But we very much talk about your personal values and yeah. then the company's ways of working. Which is a way of marrying the two together, I guess. It is very much, so. yeah. I mean, yeah. One of the things we talk about a lot with systems, and to me it's yeah. a bit like we talked about education. You know, wherever you're starting from, you can't change. But you can, you know, if, if it didn't work out at school, you can get that education later. You can get educated academically or, or experientially in right. all those different ways. And one of the things that's, uh, ex- that I've experienced a lot um, during, you know, great success that still surprises me today, but also a great deal of failure. In fact, I wrote a book, Failure Breeds Success, and I've had my failure, as you're aware, in retail as well. Right. Is there any area and, and I think I like to talk about it's important to talk about because often people fail and they think they're a failure they take on that label as opposed to saying I don't have to be a failure um, this is a failure how can I move on from it and uh, and so I often say that you know failure isn't the opposite of success it's a part of the journey it's one of the ingredients almost but is there anything in your story experience where you can say oh christ that was a real blueprint because i did that Mm -hmm. it was important because i would never have learned this and i I only say that and if there isn't that's fantastic but i say that because i think sometimes people need to hear i didn't get any o levels but i can still be successful or i have failed but i can still be successful i hope you're enjoying success as a system every tuesday we launch it on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Drop us a note and tell us who you would like to see or hear on Successes System or what subjects you'd like us to cover to help you and your business. Successes System, like, subscribe and make sure you get it every Tuesday for great lessons and systems that have made people wealthy, healthy and successful. Yeah, I I think from my point of view, making progress through the organisation at a relatively early age, I think I got to um, I don't know, 30, 31 or something like that in, in really quite a senior position in the company. And then in order to satisfy one or two other people needs the organisation had, I found myself moved to essentially a mission impossible job at the office right. at a very early age, coming from a very senior job in the stores, in the, in the field, which I knew like it was my home turf, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I took that job... Um, the then managing director wrote out to the whole organisation about my job, okay. and it and it looked like a, a certainly a, a sort of cure for most things in the world. Oh, okay. um, and so, so it set you it set you up to, <laughs> to fail almost. And so when I look back at that, I think you know I failed in that job. However, why is that important in my story? Is because I have never ever to this day put anyone else in that same position. Right. It's a great lesson to, to be... I think so. Um, and, of course, you make the wrong call about somebody's ability or progress or what might suit them. But that's very different to making a very big move with somebody in order to facilitate someone else or something yeah, else yeah, yeah. and to put them into a world where, you know, you, you would be changing quite a lot of stuff in order to be a success. Yeah, and, and it can, some people don't recover from that or don't easily recover Quite. from that. Yeah. Having put it that way, though, I'd like to put the other side, which is I personally could have done a, a much better job in it. Right. Maybe not right at that age, because, you know, yeah, I, it, it all felt very uh, soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I definitely could have done a better job. So I think that maybe, yeah, it, learning that lesson was, was important. I think within the job itself, the more senior I have become over the years, 
I would definitely have made a decision and, and made something happen that was the wrong thing to have done. Right. Either the timing was wrong, the costs were wrong, or customers didn't fancy it anyway, or the organisation wasn't ready to execute. And how, how do uh, Tesco's, Morrison's, you individually or collectively as a team, people are failing all the time. When someone does fail, I think to me, when someone says, um, right, this has gone wrong. And I remember um, some guys saying to me when one of my businesses went wrong, they said, okay, look, we can't change this now. This is happening, but we can deal with it elegantly and intelligently. And and the way we do this now is going to affect you. It's going to affect how people view you. Yeah. And, and it is that kind of saying to somebody, and I got it, different managers, it come from small mistakes where they say, you're yeah. not going to do that again, are you? And, and I think the way a company treats somebody when they fail is important. I mean, is that something that's talked about in teams that, you know, allow people to, it's a bit like teaching your kid to ride a bike, you've got to let them fall off, haven't a little you, really? Bit. I, I quite like the idea of fast failure that is often talked about. Right, right, yeah. And also to have an antennae toward failure, you know, that an organisation can be quite herd-like, I think, in driving towards something. Right. Half of the organisation not actually sure what it is, but kind of going with the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And then some evangelists at the start, at the beginning, at the front, who are dragging it along anyway. And it's quite important for one of two folks to say, look, intuitively that doesn't feel right. Where is the value add there? And being prepared to put your foot on the ball and say, I'm going to put that on pause. Yeah, and frankly, my idea, and I'm stopping it, is an important thing for a CEO to say. I don't know that that is failure, frankly. It can be course correcting. It can yeah, be Yeah, take a bigger person. It's so. prioritizing. Yeah. Uh, but you can't, you know, you can't live in a life, live in a world in business where, because you thought of it, it's got to be right. No, well, in, it, in fact, it, it may be safer saying probably because I thought of it might not be right, but how can we make it stronger? Yeah, and I think when you say, look, I know this is my idea, but I, I realize it's the wrong idea yeah. now, or we need to change from that, it's not working. Yeah. It, it sort of enables people to understand that sometimes you're going to be wrong, but if you address it early, quickly, uh, and, yeah. and don't sweep it under the carpet. I mean, the, I don't know if you ever, as a kid, heard the story, the Emperor's Clothes story, you know, where he's naked, but everyone says he's got some fantastic set of clothes on. And, and that's now a recognised syndrome, the en en Emperor's Clothes Syndrome, um, whereby if you can convince enough people something yeah. is right, they yeah. will go along with it, yeah. even if they kind of question it and think, I can't see it, but I'm going to go with it kind of thing. And you do need that person to speak yeah. out and say, he's naked, <laughs> or yeah. Yeah. this is wrong. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge in business quite often perhaps might be or is it the biggest challenge where your own people need to feel they're able to say, are you right about that? Yeah, it's actually easier for me to say that is not right. What I have advised is wrong. What yeah. I've started is wrong. So creating an environment. So in, if we're thinking of systems, that, that has to, I think, be yeah. an actively stated approach that if you think I'm doing something wrong or anyone's doing something wrong, have the courage to speak out. You know, you don't have to attack them. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but raise the issue. Or... You do. And, and perhaps in your own style as the ultimate leader, in the way you present things, the way you ask rather than tell, it leaves room to get to the right answer. Because there's always this danger that, you know, if all objections are have to be overcome to start with, nothing will ever be started. So I may come in here on a Monday morning and say, look, I think we need to think about this. A thousand convenience stores open on Boxing Day or something, right? Whatever <coughs> it is. And I might well be right, actually. Some folk may just think, well, can we afford that? Is there any demand? Is it everywhere in the UK? And I'm saying, OK, I don't mind going down the list, but doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes you've got to make a splash. When you charge, take charge. Yeah, you? a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, if I come in and say, look, I was out on Christmas Day or Boxing Day and I, it struck me there was more people on the road. Did anybody else experience that? Oh, okay, yeah. Is that a trend? Might be. How would we leverage that opportunity? Maybe yeah. we should be open. It doesn't mean we've been in off Christmas Day, by the way. It just means, yeah, it just means there's an opportunity. But, but there is a, you know, some people go with the flow, and that's a kind of common saying, and other people, like Disney, say observe the masses and do the opposite. So I think it's in one of the things I, um, um, you know, I never stop learning what's the saying that the more you know that you the more you realize how little you know kind of thing but 
I realise that you don't have, there's not a defined success, there are many ways to be successful and it does truly take um, different approaches, horses for courses, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But uh, And times change what's right for a business, I guess. But how important is speed of change um, in retail? I mean, I always felt like it was really important, but sometimes I've seen companies try and change too quickly and trip over the, themselves because of it. Well, I mean, one of the people I've learned most from in the industry over many, many years, uh, Tim Mason, who was the group marketing yeah, director yeah. for Tesco, and, and he's, he's done a lot of work since. Um, Tim would often say, look, the scenery only changes for the lead dog. <laughs> and his point was clear that, yeah. you know, you, the industry, we're in the same industry, so it shouldn't be too surprising that things are a bit similar. Yeah, but yeah. if you're going to innovate on behalf of consumers and colleagues, it's better to do it first than any other list, yeah. any other number. So I, I do think there's something in that, okay? But enough of the changes, enough of the changes need to look imp like improvements. Quite often from time to time people will be changing something and therefore legitimizing the contribution. But in fact, it's getting worse or it's not moving at all. So we're, we're quite keen to talk about improving the business as opposed to yeah, changing yeah. it, right? Um, and I know that metrics and measurement yeah. and numbers were always really important to you and getting them as real time as possible yeah. were always important because yeah. we can convince ourselves that something is right even if it's wrong, but the numbers never lie. I think, I think in the end, the, you know, customer satisfaction, colleague enjoyment, these kind of things are massively important. It does filter through though to the numbers. Yeah, yeah, and you know the leverage of value, creation of value, and EBITDA and cash flow, and all of these things, right? So, and and organisations need that to yeah. survive to generate cash, but also to to have a sense of achievement themselves. And quite often, those 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 measures are the way you sort of create oxygen for future growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but certainly. What, one of the tests I, I would always have had would be, in my job, you get a lot of people coming at you a lot with a lot of things that we should go and do. Yeah. Our own people. Right? And I always try to think, okay, well, in a year's time, in two years' time, that store that we all know very well, wherever it is, how will that have changed? Yeah. That online site, that platform that we all understand, how will that have really changed as a result of what is being recommended? Because quite often... A recommendation accepted is going to mean a recommendation turned down at some point because you have to prioritize, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't do everything. Even if it's a good recommendation. Completely, good. because yeah. you're trying to prioritize to get good execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And businesses can throw a lot of stuff at something and not much happens. And for me, you know, less is more and sort of narrowing that focus in order to broaden its appeal, right, is really quite important in retail. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. So one of the other things I want to talk about is that, so a lot, a lot of the business I um, mentor are SMEs, and for them the biggest challenge is when do I I start off as an individual? When do I take the first person yeah. on? And then how do we go from ten people to twenty people? And it's a, it's a big decision for two reasons: one, the obviously the cost, but two, the ability to manage people, and and then you can get into this trap of yeah. Uh, two arms, two legs, you'll do kind of thing. And you, you can weaken the importance of the qualities yeah. that that and values that that yeah. person brings. But what what tips or advice would you give to uh, an SME that was sort of fearful of scaling up or growing, but knows there's a potential, but is, you know, it's back to the failure potential, the potential for it, but doing it anyway. What's your sort of risk comfort, if you like? Uh, and how, what, how would you share that to... Uh, if you're a mentor in a, a small business? I, I think, is, is it part of trying to understand what it what it is that you contribute that society has valued? Because for you to be thinking about growth, you know, going from regional to national, going from local to regional, yeah. means you must be doing something right, okay? Otherwise, you, you kind of probably, unless you'd had a sort of late night, you wouldn't really be thinking yeah, about that, right? Yeah, yeah. And therefore being really quite ruthless with what it is that is that is making that thought tenable is really important. So not just doing it because it, it, peer pressure says you've got to scale up, You're doing it because you believe that the business has got the potential or you've got the potential or there's yeah. the demand. Or I would say peer pressure to scale up, I would ignore anyway, shred it, right? right. Because where's the value in that? 
um, and the sustainability isn't there. I think if you can be very ruthless, you know, in private or in, in amongst um, the right stakeholders yeah, yeah, yeah. about what is where is the real value in this business, where is the real opportunity, then then I think that that'll give you some tram lines to move between. Clearly, you don't want to bet the farm with your first idea of growth. Right. You're going to destroy a lot of value that people value, you know, in, independent of growth, they value what you've already achieved. And I, I can see how, you know, that idea of sort of holding on but letting go is a real trauma for folk who've come through on their own. Yeah. I mean, I've been probably part of a machine over many, many years now. And, you know, it, it's hard to replicate those feelings that entrepreneurs must yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although, I guess in some ways, every department has an entrepreneurial behavior within it a little bit. A bit, it? but it's not quite the same as, I'm not eating tonight, if I get this wrong. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, I, I it's just that, a bit yeah. more tangible. You can right? make a few more mistakes if yeah, you want to you scale. Can, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we, a big corporate really wants to be an entrepreneurial spirit, right? And the entrepreneurs all want to be a big... Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I've never thought of it quite yeah. like that, but no, it's true. They all want the scale... <laughs> But they they don't necessarily want the governance, the work or the government. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I used to talk yeah. about it in terms of if if I had to choose between a, a speedboat and a and a super tanker, I'd probably go with the speedboat because the exhilaration. But you know, equally, you can only have a few passengers on there, and uh, <laughs> there's all the analogies that will go along right. with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if we come back to systems, yeah, what three systems, approaches, um, uh, behaviours, whichever you want to call them, would you attribute your uh, yourself to or to yourself that you say have either make you happy or successful or both? I think, first of all, listening very carefully always to the front line. Right. And wherever those front lines are, responding to them when you're listening is really, really very, very important. One, because they hear the news first yeah. from consumers. And two, they hold, you know, how consumers feel in their hands in that moment. Because they're dealing with consumers every yeah, minute. Yeah. They're dealing with customers every moment. I think second, that knowing where the money's made in an organisation is really important. Yeah. And in the world of food retail, in the commercial engine of a business, in the margins of a business, knowing that we've got control of that. Financial control, we know what we're doing on, on that. Yeah. The relationship between cost prices and <clears throat> retail prices and productivity and, and all of those buy for less techniques in the middle. But, but knowing where the money is made is really important too. And I think for me personally, I always think, okay, We've got to prioritise, we've got to make hard choices on CapEx and OpEx and decisions we make. But the great thing is there's always another year coming. Yeah. There's always another group of quarters coming, right? So you don't have to get it all into one year. The sort of law of the seasons. That it, yeah. A bit. Well, yeah. just in terms of the, the financial calendar as well, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so in this business now, we tended to think a bit more of continual quarters. So one quarter, drop, you know, quarter one drops off. Yeah. You've gone through to this other quarter down here and you're going Q2 to Q1 ink as opposed to Q1 to Q4 ink. The yeah. financial year, you've got one dropping off, one coming on. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a sort of, you know, a continual sort of movement of financial years in the calendar. But I, I think from time to time it's tempting to say, well, I must scale that now. I must go and do this now. Whereas, in fact, there's actually another year coming, another shed load of CapEx and OpEx. Yeah, I mean, when I'm, when I'm doing goal setting or strategic planning with somebody, I guess connected to that where my take on it is, I try to get them to talk about transformation mapping or transition mapping to say, you know, it is a journey. Now, we can set three-year goals, one-year goals, one-quarter yeah. goals, one-month goals, or one-week goals. But if we think we've got to achieve it now it can be overwhelming it can be unachievable yeah. to, to to realize it is a journey completely and to plan it like a journey where we know our destination yeah. we we um accept there's going to be some challenges on the way but we mitigate somewhat to them but we then break it down to 
Uh, and sat-navin is, a, is, to me, a good analogy in the sense that if someone says, I want to be successful, I'll say, what does that mean? You know, Or that's like saying, I want to go to Scotland, but uh, between East and West, there's a big distance. But <laughs> if you could say to me, I want to go to EH119BD, suddenly we can put that into a sat-nav. And then, because it works its way back through a strategy, all we've got to really think about yeah. is take the next left turn straight across the next yeah. roundabout. And, I might try that. Uh, well, I'll get, there's a good book I can do. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it does uh, work because people are often either purely future focused and yeah. not focusing on the next turn, or they're so focused on the next few turns that they could be going in the wrong direction because they haven't properly uh, set their destination, if you Completely. like. I think, I think for me in, in, our, in our business, I'm very engaged on today's trade, right? And, and we're only as good as yesterday's light for light, really. Yeah. Equally, if we want to open 100 convenience stores, I might think, okay, well, look, I can knock out one a week. So that's going to take me three years. And it's really then about how you perfect that execution yeah, yeah. and get it into a sort of cookie-cutter approach and say, that's going ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tick, sort of move on, check the numbers. And then each week, have we got you're that knocking one? It, we got you're knocking one? it over, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think it's quite important to have that horizon. But equally, each day, each week, each quarter is really quite important as well. Well, and to me, I find it important because a mammoth goal can then become achievable when you look at what we have to yeah. do today towards yeah. it. But yeah. it can be impossibly scary if we look at the, the whole picture in that sense. Yeah. And, and trying to differentiate, perhaps, between driving EBITDA, driving sales, driving growth, in a sort of business as usual cycle, yeah. quarterly, periodically, right, weekly, versus if I think about our growth, new growth, if I think about sort of driving productivity on an underlying basis, becoming more competitive, yeah. then that needs a slightly longer horizon. And I, but but well, I would be careful of confusing them too. Yeah, well, they, I guess the destination and the activity of the next step are both equally important. They're connected, but they are they need their individual focus, I guess, don't they? I do, so. I do, yeah. And sometimes the focus individually is within the same meeting and within the same sentence, actually. You've got to be able to fly high and low. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That makes it a challenge, I guess, isn't it? But, um, I mean, so last thing, if you were speaking to a 16-year-old today, because I do think, uh, as, an, as a doctor of education, I, I think, to me, if you've got that kind of guttural... Um, ambition, drive, work ethic, but you've also got this education and you can marry the two. You become quite unstoppable because you'll even push through your challenges. But if there's a lot of pressure on kids today that they feel failed if they don't go to university. There is right. this pressure that you've got to go to university now when it clearly uh, wasn't something on your radar, wasn't on my radar, wasn't on Joe Valente's radar or Neville Wright's radar right. or, many, or, or, or um, uh, many of the people that yeah. I speak to. That doesn't mean to say that if we had the choice or the opportunity, we wouldn't have done it. But some people know that it's not right for them at that point in time, yeah. but they feel a lot of pressure. What would you say if you were trying to encourage maybe one of your grandchildren who came to you and said, Grandad, Mum and Dad want me to uh, to go to university, but I, I just it's not going to be right for me. What, what would you be saying to that 16-year-old? Well, I, I think in, the, in that case, in that particular case, I'd want to sort of understand the rationale as to why not. Right. Because certainly, you know, reaching out into those university years can be a life-changing experience, right? Positive. Oh, it can save you. It save, probably saved me a decade if I'd have done it, but I didn't. Right, so, okay, yeah, that's yeah. interesting, right? I think. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and therefore, I think I'd want to understand that. I think in the end, you've got to trust your gut, having given it the thought. Which is hard at 16, though, isn't it, I guess? It may be easier because it may be more active. It's hard to be frightened of much at 16, I think. Yeah, I guess. I get you feel invincible and, uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. And, uh, and there's something in that. Yeah. And frankly, you know, who cares if you make the wrong call because you can course correct. You've got a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the American saying, I like set off and course correct. You know, it's, uh, don't wait till it's perfect because it never will be kind of thing. But uh. And I think finally I say, look, whatever call you make, I'll be here to support you anyway. And it, it's not a decision for life, it's a decision that you're making. Yeah, and, and but that, that's a really good point, I think, because so many people think this, this decision is going to define me, you know, yeah. and it, it is where yeah. you end up that, yeah. you know, it's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that is right. I mean, my my brother bummed around on beaches for like ten years, but now he has one of one of the most successful restaurants in Goa, kind of thing, and he does really well, following his passion, living his dream yeah. every single day. But he didn't even think about starting that journey yeah. till he yeah. was thirty-five, something yeah. like that. You know, uh, so I think from time to time, sort of writing down what were the big calls you made in the last te- decade or the last five years, the really big ones. Yeah. It's a fairly short list, actually, if you really do it. And once you've done that, I think looking ahead to the next five or ten and saying, okay, well, what would good look like ahead? That's, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting exercise. And if you understand that it's not that many big calls. It's hardly any, you, you don't have to, it shouldn't be a big detailed strategy. I mean, which is why I like to work to one-page strategies, not, yeah. not 25 folders. You know, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I quite often write stuff up on a soft white board yeah. <laughs> in in Mandarin, as they call it here, because my writing's not the best. But I, I think, you know, strategy is not something we do June the 8th at 10 a.m. It's, every it's something when you turn every corner, I think. And that's a really good point because so many small companies either don't do it or they or they suddenly think they've got to do it all today and big companies tend to do it in a circular, every two years we'll have a strategic review. But it's interesting that you see it as and talk about it as it's an everyday occurrence. It's a continuum. Yeah, we, yeah. We, I, I am quite cautious of using the word strategy unless I can see it's got consequence. Right. I think something is strategic if it's got consequence for a business. But it's a very overused word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally used by people who don't do it. And secondly, like to mess about somewhere. I hadn't thought about that, but that's an interesting uh, take on it. Yeah. So I'm conscious of your time. I really value your oh, time. I can you. speak for a- ages, uh, David. Thank you. But can I run through 10, 10 or 12 things just as a finish, as a wind up yeah. here, that are kind of either ors, which always. So let's say I said mm-hmm. education versus experience, you know, quick fire. Uh, if that's possible yeah, and if not I'm more than happy if you to expand on it because I know there'll be value in the answer but um, what would be your choice from your position your experience if I was saying education or experience education uh, price versus service service technology versus people people uh, quality versus price quality uh, perfection versus speed so either I, uh, 100% late or 90% now 90% now um Checkout versus self-service. <laughs> uh, self-service. Okay. Um, Zoom versus face-to-face. Face-to-face. Uh, local versus national. Local. Online versus in-person shopping. I'm talking about now. Mm, in-person. Okay. In-house versus partnership, and I'm thinking of your in-house. Amazon relationship. Uh, in-house. Uh, in-house. Okay. Uh, hand up or hand out? Are you giving someone oh, a hand, hand up or uh, hand out? Hand out, okay. Um, apprenticeship versus degree. Apprenticeship. Risk versus safety. Risk. And lastly, gut versus intellect. Gut. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I could have guessed many of them, I think, but uh, that's because I've, I've seen you in action and uh, uh, and you are different. I think which is why you're successful and much appreciated within your business and, and respected yeah, outside. Thank so thanks again for your time. Uh, thank you for listening or watching Success is a System. If you've enjoyed that, do like, subscribe and share. Uh, and we look forward to coming back and uh, sharing some more great systems from great leaders with you again in the future. Thank you.